everybody, and welcome to Comic Club. We are your friendly neighborhood comic book podcast. We're those friends of yours who know every single thing about comic books, and we can tell you, and it's like you're chatting with us in the comic book store. It's great. Today, we're going to be talking about Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. It is going to be filled with spoilers. We are going to be, a lot of times we like to start at the beginning of the story, but we always hit the spoilers soon, so if you haven't seen the movie, turn it off and go watch the film and come back and join us. I am Blaine McGaffigan, and I'm joined as always by Adam, king of the multiverse, Cook. Hail to the king, baby. That's right. So, like I mentioned, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness by our boy Sam Raimi. Adam, what did you think of this film? I had a I had a great time. I was just overjoyed to be in the hands of Sam Ra- Sam Raimi again. Watching a Sam Raimi blockbuster, I was like, "This is watching a director with a vision do a blockbuster." This is what I love seeing in movies: guys who are auteurs who have a style, not afraid to wield their vision and know how to fit it within different worlds it's incredible not to say that this was the best movie ever but it was just so fun to be back in the hands of someone like that something i haven't felt in a marvel movie in a long time honestly yeah i would completely agree i think marvel has found themselves in a place of you know, one of their biggest critiques is they all look the same. They're yes. all plastic. They're all the same they all color feel palette. The same. They all feel the same. They all tell the same story. They're all kind of the same vibey. And and they've been making an effort, uh, I would say, since kind of like Ryan Coogler with Black Panther and actually probably before then. No, no, actually, they've been before then, but since the critics have really come out. We saw Brian, Ryan Coogler do Black Panther and really put his sort of Afro futurism, you know, take on it, which people really loved. I think the Taika is probably the most sort of visionary, different. That was the one to me where I was like, "Oh boy, like this is something new going on." And I would say, actually, to a same degree, is Guardians of the Galaxy. But I just wanted to say I agree with you. Like this, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness we kind of like got inklings of the horror elements from the trailer, but I didn't realize how far it was going to go. And whenever I say horror, I don't just mean like horror. I mean, Sam Raimi horror. And Adam, yes. you, you mentioned it is he has got a take of these um, extreme close-ups on eyes, uh, a little comedy in there, a little, a little almost slapstick stuff. These really dynamic camera movements, trucks in, pushes, pulls, slant, cant angles, you know, uh, all that stuff. And you could probably speak to the, you know, film, the film of it a little bit more than me. But man, like, I love that shit. And the way the camera was just really working, the creature design, the the takes, the kills, everything here was really kind of working for me, um, especially kind of like as we hit the second half of this film and it started to go kind of into the, the madness, the, the multiverse madness. of madness. Yeah, I think it did kind of start a little slow where it did take a second to kind of get the momentum. That first big set piece in New York was fun to me a lot of callbacks or it just felt like it was channeling you know 
Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. That early, that first Spider-Man, that huge sequence in New York, kind of just felt like there was a lot of similar things with kind of Sam Raimi's so good with these balancing scenes where lots of action is happening in conflicting, you know, areas, basically things flying from all different directions and kind of tracking different things that are going on. Um, and I thought that was really fun, but it wasn't really until they introduced the Scarlet Witch and really said, okay, this is our villain that it started to take off. And that was maybe about 20 minutes in or something. And once they said Scarlet Witch is the baddie in this, I thought that we were just off to the races pretty much for the rest of the movie. Agreed. And from there, it was a chase movie, right? From there, yeah. it was just like Scarlet Witch is in pursuit and they're running the entire time as fast as they can to try to find one, the books of Ashanti, and two, to save America Chavez. Um, I wanted to hit you kind of like with a surprise question. Like, what did you think of Scarlet Witch being full baddie, full like villain of this? I loved it. My personal favorite use of Scarlet Witch so far, I thought Elizabeth Olsen totally stepped into this role perfectly, nailed it, really brought kind of everything that she had sort of built up into this character over, you know, all those other movies over WandaVision. To me, it felt like it all paid off in this movie. And I think maybe I've been a little hard on her performances in the past. Her accent kind of comes and goes. Right, right. But I really liked everything she did here. And I just thought that this was a great take on the character. And, and the way that they progressed the character, too, you know, with the writing, I thought was a great continuation and sort of resolution for the Scarlet Witch's story as a whole. And just finally, uh, a a good Marvel villain. Like, uh, yes. they're finally getting some really good villains in their roster. I completely agree, and I wanted to echo kind of what you said about her arc and her sort of resolution, right? I think at the end of WandaVision, I was a little I was a little surprised because she turned into the witch character, You're and right. I thought they were going more X-Men when we were watching WandaVision because they were introducing, like, the other Pietro. They were, they were kind of, like, leaning that direction, and then they were like, no, she is a witch, and she's the magic. She's not the mutant. And that, right. to me, was like, okay, but, you know, kind of what does that mean? Where does that go? I thought she was going to be a sidekick in this film. And whenever she, you know, she, you know, removes the illusion of the garden, and it's that weird red Sam Raimi, like, army of darkness, weird kind of, like, look with, yeah. like, this huge blood moon in the background. I was like, whoa, like, here it was we go, like baby. a 90s set. Piece yeah. almost something. <laughs> yeah. Like like Wizard of Oz, but like Hellscape, right? Yeah. Um, I thought that was great. And I wanted to touch on the arc and the resolution. You know, she had this kind of she had this motivation around wanting to be with her kids. And I think there was sort of this like unhinged, she tried to do it the the sort of like kind way or whatever they kept kind of mentioning there. Um, and then and then she was like, I will unleash. I will completely like lose it. And she's taken down the Avengers before, right? We know she's powerful, but never as sort of the witch character and especially being slightly corrupted by the dark hole. <coughs> but once we saw that end when she, you know, after her murder spree, essentially, and she gets reunited with her kids, that last moment, I mean, that one really, really worked for me. I agree. Heartbreaking. And just something that, uh, you know, you feel for this character because what she wants is not 
bad. She just wants to be with these kids. And the way that she wants to go about it is obviously wrong. But that's what makes her such a great character. It's not that she is absolutely evil. It's that she is just evil in her methods. But, you know, she's very conflicted and it makes you kind of conflicted as a viewer. Do you, you know, fully side against her or do you kind of see her point? But that kind of takes me, that makes me think like you said, she's not fully X-Men. Speaking of X-Men. Yes, okay, we're going into it. Let's get into the biggest reveal scene of the movie. They bring in the Illuminati. Blaine, just set the scene. Tell us about this scene and how it went down in your theater and your personal reaction. Yeah, so so my personal reaction, one, I... Before you give us that, can you tell us about the scene and what happens in the scene for for any viewers, any listeners that haven't seen it that just want to know? Thank you, Adam. Thank you. So basically, Doctor Strange and America Chavez gets transported to another universe. And in this universe, they are captured and taken to the Baxter Building. What is the Baxter Building, you ask? It is the home of the Illuminati. And in this alternate universe, there is not an Avengers, not a Defenders, but an Illuminati. Who is on this team Who's on this council that knows about the multiverse, that understands the multiverse? We have some big names here, okay? First, we see Mr. Fantastic, John Krasinski. I mentioned the Baxter building, right? So Fantastic Four in another universe are just completely a part of, of a part of the MCU. We have Rambo, I can't remember her first name, Monica Rambo's, you know, uh, mother, mother playing Captain Marvel. In that universe, she has become Captain Marvel. We have Agent Carter. In this universe, she has taken up the shield and has the the serum, the super soldier serum, and um, she's dope. And we've seen a little bit of her in What If as well, That's if right. you've seen That's any of the cartoons. Episode. We see our main man, the king of the Inhumans. That's right, folks. He's got a tuning fork on his head. Black Everyone's Bolt. favorite character. <laughs> Black Bolt featured in the CBS All Access special. It was an ABC smash <laughs> hit. Inhumans. He can't speak. And if he does, he will blow the walls off or his own head if he doesn't have a mouth. Um, and then lastly, we hear the Danny Elfman riffing on the 90s score. We see Charles Xavier ride in on his yellow hover chair. And, hover wheelchair. Yes. Uh, yes. Hover wheelchair. And um, that, you know, my audience is the Illuminati, uh, you know, if you've seen it, you know what it felt like as an audience. We were all kind of like, is this going to introduce the Fantastic Four? Is this going to introduce the X-Men? It introduces more. It introduces the Inhumans, our favorite team over here at Comic Club. <laughs> we love it. We can't get enough Inhumans. And By the way, I just recently listened to like the Miss Marvel episode we did. If you want to go back and learn about the Inhumans, Go listen to the Miss Marvel episode. I kind of go on for way too long about the Inhumans. <laughs> you want to hear about the Terrigen Mist, yeah. folks. <laughs> yeah, but... Okay, so I wanted to... Let me throw it back at you. Um, obviously, I was super hyped. I kind of, 
you know, some of it I kind of knew. I didn't get spoiled, but there were some hints about Charles Xavier a little bit before with his uh, voice in the trailer. But I wanted to know from you, because I've seen a, a little bit of critique online that this film didn't actually introduce them into the 616 universe, right? Our MCU universe. It introduced the Illuminati and then proceeded to have the Scarlet Witch brutally, I mean, brutally murder all of them. So what did you think about their untimely deaths? And what did you, what were you kind of hoping or expecting them to be some sort of uh, version of them to be brought into the 616 verse? I was curious to see what the ramifications were going to be. Because like you said, they teased this in the trailer. They said... They mentioned the Illuminati and you could hear Charles Xavier's voice. So people were starting to make connections, but we didn't know who was going to be there or what effect they were going to have on this plot. And so kind of once they started dying, I thought they're the, all these characters are going to die. Right. I just kind of saw where they were going and I thought it was a really, really clever way to sort of you know, wet the appetite yes. of the fans who have been just clamoring for some of these people to make their appearance in the MCU and just tease the idea that these characters can exist, but not fully commit to how they factor into our MCU yes. story. I thought it was brilliant, like Agreed. brilliant storytelling, especially when John Krasinski showed up. I feel like the fans willed this into existence. <laughs> yeah. They've been talking about him being Mr. Fantastic for so long. Yes. I just, I couldn't believe that they actually did it. And yeah. I, I even, I think I said, they, they, they fucking did it when right. it came out. And it was just fun. Like, that was the moment. I, I just had kind of just glee when that scene happened. All these characters show up. Even our favorite Black Bolt showing up, I was just... Totally surprised. I did not think they were going to bring Black Bolt in. Right. And especially to just bring in the same actor that they used in the TV yeah. show, our favorite, Anson Mount. We love him. You know, he's a Star Trek actor, I think. Yeah, right? I'm a big Star Trek guy right before we record, <laughs> recorded this. If I you was, listen to our last pod, <laughs> I was telling. On Moon Knight. I was telling Adam, I'm forsaking Star Wars. I'm turning in my Star Wars Phantom card. I'm hanging up the old lightsaber. I'm hanging up the Padawan. I'm cutting off the Padawan braid. Cutting, <laughs> trading in his, his ponytail for a Vulcan um, V, you know, greeting. <laughs> That's right. And I'm, and I'm you know, going full. I'm putting on the red shirts or blue shirts. I don't know yet because I haven't watched any. But <laughs> He doesn't know which side he's going to pick. Yeah, but I'm going full Star Trek. But anyway, yes, the actor is um, he's commands a Star Trek ship. And although we love the Inhumans over here, neither me or Adam have seen that show. Is it time to go back and revisit and do it beyond the panels of Inhumans? Yeah. You, the fans, will say. You, you, let you us demand know. it. If you demand it, we will do it. You better believe it. We will absolutely do a deep dive of Inhumans if it is demanded of us. But... I just thought there were some really fun moments throughout this thing. That was one of my favorites. Seeing Raimi just kind of get to flex and do his thing. Moments, there were just some shots where I just had a, a mo like the thought, Raimi is the only one who's going to do Agreed. something like this. Yep. And you just didn't get a lot of moments like that in previous Marvel movies. Maybe in some, like you had mentioned, you know, Black Panther has its moments. I do think that Guardians 
was like a very distinct moment in the MCU, but something about this just felt fun. And especially when zombie strange came in, Mm -hmm. then I was just, I thought this is a full Sam Raimi experience at this point. Yeah. So, so why don't you talk about that? Cause that was a time whenever um, he's like, I'm going to dream walk. He's like, but there's not a Dr. Strange in your universe. He says, uh, who says, the Doctor Strange has to be alive. And then whenever it cut to the top of the building and the hand reached up, I was like, Sam Raimi, you've done it yet again. Yeah. I was so stoked. It was fun. I mean, it's just like a callback to his origins in, you know, in Evil Dead, working with the undead, and just doing his things so well, not being afraid kind of of that. And um, it really fit for the story, too. I love the way that they had set it up very early on by kind of like burying him there. And at the time I thought, why are they making this a scene? But obviously they paid it off. And then it really made sense within the story featured Benedict Cumberbatch in a pretty funny way. I got to say this movie made me like Benedict Cumberbatch a lot more than I had in the past. Same, same. And and again, like you mentioned, like pretty funny way. First of all, Zombie Strange could have been a horrible CGI creation, but they made him uh, creature effects. They made him prosthetics. And what I was cracking up at is when he was delivering the pivotal moments of dialogue to America Chavez, like the really like, you know, you've had the power all along, you know, sort of speech to her as this hideous looking zombie strange and then there's a moment where he winks and i just laughed out loud it was just this perfect moment and and i just it it really got me i i gotta say like i i loved that as well no i think that was one thing that was one of my favorite aspects of the movie is that i thought sam raimi used cumberbatch in the best way i'd seen so far where I was actually feeling for him as a character and I thought, wow, like he's really making me care about his Doctor Strange um, in ways that I had not in the past, um, you know. We, we, we talked about Wanda's kind of like arc, right? And and I thought, again, what worked so well in addition to the horror, in addition to the laughs, in addition to the fun, in addition to the Illuminati was the true like story aspects of this, the strange arc himself of he's the one who always has to hold the knife. And he has also found out that all the other stranges or many of them in the multiverse are kind of dicks and are actually kind of bad guys. And that's what he struggled with in the first Doctor Strange is he's the... He's the bad guy. He's the dick. He's the he's the selfish one who has to overcome that. And we see that at the beginning of this. And over time, his care for this newcomer, America Chavez, the selfless acts that he does um, there and the way he flirts with power with the Darkhold, but ultimately doesn't succumb to it, really worked for me. And I was like, this the threads of this pulling back to sort of the scalpel, you know, you are the you always have to hold the scalpel and he and he submits and he says, No, America, you've got this. I thought it just worked from a thematic storytelling standpoint. I really connected with the part that was asking him about if he was happy. And he, mm-hmm. you know, he thought mm-hmm. so many things, you know, I should be happy. I saved the world. I've become a huge hero. Why am I not happy? And I, there was just something so human about that mm-hmm. question 
that I just felt it was incredibly relatable. And I, I thought this is a great, a great, um, a great aspect of the character to tap into. And I, you know, I was just happy. I just felt, felt lucky that we had gotten Sam Raimi back into the superhero world. Cause it wasn't that long ago that I did a revisit of his Spider-Man movies. And I loved it so much. I just thought they had aged so well and that he is just this kind of classic director in the same vein as like Steven Spielberg, where he just has these classic sensibilities that I feel age so well because he's kind of this timeless director that does things like you were saying he'll use practical effects in ways that just kind of will transcend whatever decade he created the the movie in and there's just something special about his movies that i i was just happy to see again i i did want to ask you one it's a two-parter one do you think normal people know or care about uh, Sam Raimi, and two, do you think? And I think I know the answer, but do you think his, his style is kind of distinct? Like, do you think a, a watcher who doesn't know who Sam Raimi is is going to watch Doctor Strange and and have that same joy that we are sharing on this pod? I don't think so. I don't think he has the name recognition, you know, of a lot of directors. Um, I think that a lot of people would know his work when you say he directed this, especially if you say he directed this Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. They go, oh, okay, he directed Drag Me to Hell. They're like, you, okay, right. You you hear some of these movies and you don't really realize that he had directed them. And I think he's more of kind of the, if you know, you know, um, you can recognize his style, especially when you watch other directors. Like Edgar Wright loves to ape his, you know, three quick cut move that is just kind of very classic and there are just um, some other people who kind of will, you know, pay homage to Raimi's style in the same way that Raimi, I think, is paying homage to other people's style. But no, I don't I don't think he does have that same recognition as some directors. Um, but I don't know that a lot of directors nowadays, like the the fan at large, knows many directors in the way that they would have known, like, Steven Spielberg, to say. But but I think still, I, I, I mean, I think... The question is more like, do you think his sort of visual storytelling style is going to have an impact on somebody who doesn't know him? Do you think, again, as a viewer, are you seeing or paying attention to those angles and those cuts and those comedy moments? Like, do you think that's sort of working or do you think, I mean, obviously it works harder on us because we have the context, but do you think, you know, that makes an impact and do you think that resonates? I do think it, I think it does make an impact and it does resonate, not maybe as an overt way to where they think, wow, that, that shot was so interesting. It's more just, they're they're moved by it and they don't even realize that it was a product of the camera work or the pacing Mm -hmm. or the music. Yep. And by the way, are we going to talk about the music? Danny Elfman, you, you briefly mentioned the, you know, the little X-Men flourish, but wow, this was like. He was like another character in the film, basically. Yeah, it will hit us. Well, I mean, they craft... uh, Danny Elfman, so awesome. Yes, love him. Just love him. And they crafted an entire sequence around his abilities. It was a music fight sequence. That's right. And I just thought that they probably wouldn't have done this if they didn't have a composer like Danny Elfman... And, you know, Elfman, he's worked with Sam Raimi before, so obviously these guys have a great working relationship. But I just... 
thought that was such a cool use of the score and really playing up Danny Elfman's abilities. You know, Danny Elfman, Nightmare Before Christmas, he's done the Batman's, like, you know, the Batman. Simpsons theme yeah. song. I don't even know what else. He's done so many things. Right. It's like hard to go on. Yeah. Uh, no, agreed. And and I mean, like, I really, like, it was, it was hitting me really hard. Um, I mean, the music fight, Really, although some of it was like maybe Bach or like Mozart or something like that, but you know he's the what you know I I imagine they're kind of like helping kind of like assemble that and put that together. Yeah, and I thought it for arranging this. it. I thought that fight of just making like you said the music a character in the story for that moment was really great. And I thought honestly, a lot of the strange powers we saw in this was really inventive and stuff we hadn't seen before um the mystic arts that these hands grabbing these things like it was really awesome and that music fight was the one that really stood out to me but yeah i loved uh danny elfman's work in this for sure big shout out uh to the watch a lot of watch love in this movie i'm a big watch guy uh listeners i don't know if y'all know that but we got a lot of screen time for dr strange's watch it's a jaeger le couture it's a beautiful watch. There's a triple calendar moon phase, okay? This is like a $20,000 watch. Wow. So it's nice. And when wow. when Claire gives him that watch as a gift, I was like, that is a really nice gift. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, $20,000 watch. There was a really great uh, shot at the very end through the cogs looking up, it's like this impossible shot where it's like the camera is inside the watch and he's working on it. And he yeah. pulls the face off and it kind of does like this weird zoom out thing. And then it puts the face on and it kind of like zooms back in. And you you kind of like off into the periphery, you see like the ticking of the, the watch cogs and stuff. That That's so good. I love it. Yeah, a lot of watch in this movie. A lot of watch. Well, it's a nice callback, honestly. In the very first Doctor, in the first Doctor Strange movie, um, he's a big watch guy, and there's a scene where he's picking out his watch before he's driving to his big, you know, event where he ends up getting into the car accident, um, and then the watch breaks. So it is like a nice little callback that uh, I loved, especially being a watch guy. So moving forward. What what do you want to see with Doctor Strange? What what do you want to see followed up or progressed or you know developed from this world? All right. Well, let's start with reminding the viewer of what happened in the in the end of the film and then the mid credit sequence, if that's a kind of good jumping off point. So here we have Wanda who destroys all of the books of Darkhold. And, and okay, Darkhold is a book that, and by the way, Sam Raimi loves books. He loves evil books. The dude- He loves evil haunted books. He loves evil haunted books. How whenever, can we work a haunted book into this yeah, story? Yeah, whenever, whenever they were like going for the book of Ashanti, and then they're going for the Darkhold, and it's like, God, this guy loves his books. <laughs> um, but but either they way- cannot so, get enough of these yeah. books. But unfortunately, Strange had uh, dreamwalked, which meant he had harnessed the power of the Darkhold. And so we get this classic Sam Raimi thing where everything is great, everything is sweet. Dr. Strange exits the Sanctum Sanctorum, 
flips his, you know, little scarf around his shoulder. And then as he's walking across the street, he's like, ah, you hear this metal guitar talking about uh, Danny Elfman's score. And he comes down on his knees. And then in the middle of his forehead, we see the third eye open, the same third eye that the evil strange had that he fought in the music fight. And, it, and then it cuts to black. This classic Sam Raimi, like you think everything's okay. Then they get sucked back to hell one last time um, or something is wrong. And then there's a mid credit sequence where it kind of does like this same exact scene. He like strolls out of his apartment again. And then Clea, this character that, you know, is in the strange lore, right? I I kind of did a quick Wikipedia and she is the niece of Dormammu and the Sorceress Supreme of the Dark Dimension. Um, comes- and Stephen Strange's eventual wife. What? What? Uh, so maybe he can be happy, Adam. Maybe he, maybe he can't be. There's hope we'll yet. See. And she comes. She has this cool looking knife. She's played by the beautiful, as always, Charlize Theron. I mean, come on. Mm. She rip, She rips a hole into the the fabric of reality, and and she says, "Come with me if you want to survive," sort of thing. And they go on another adventure. And he still got his third eye. So I just wanted to set that up um, because let's talk about where we want this to go or what do we think is going to happen. What I would personally like to see is it remain in this genre, this horror kind of... um, Actually, I take it back. It doesn't have to be horror because Sam Raimi doesn't always do horror. We have seen him play with many different genres. I would like to see Sam Raimi kind of remain on board because I think his take and his viewpoint into the strange universe is unique and great. Um, I think I'm ready to see strange go deeper into the multiverse. Whenever we did watch or just the different universes. Whenever we watched the first Doctor Strange, some of my favorite stuff was the mirror dimension. I love the dark dimension. I love these sort of trippy panels. Um, Whenever we were talking about Doctor Strange, the oath, go back and listen to that. We were always talking about how these old guys in the 60s and 70s were, you know, taking tabs of LSD and getting trippy with Strange. That's that's what I want to see. And whenever Clea opened up that, that, tear in time, we got a sense of that, right? I think we've seen Strange be mostly on Earth and mostly in reality. And I'd like to see him. I think Mordo is the other thread that is still out there. And then America Chavez, who I I don't really want to see her in a Doctor Strange film per se. I think you can have her be in a Young Avengers or have her be later. Um, I want to see go full mystical, go full multiverse, go full crazy um, dimension hopping. Like I want to see the wacky trippy stuff is what I, is what I'm saying. I was thinking that that sequence where they were dimension hopping and it was just them fly. It was Dr. Strange and America Chavez just flying through those different dimensions. And, you know, he said, was one of those where we paint in right, one of those? Right. Um, that was such a fun sequence. I would love to get more stuff like that too. I feel like I'm right in the same line with you when you said Baron Mordo, my you know, eyes lit up. That's what I feel like we're missing. I feel like we just need a classic like Baron Mordo face off against Doctor Strange. And what I would love is a real Doctor Strange and Wong 
buddy movie just mm. them just going out on an adventure because i love wong mm-hmm. and they have a, a very fun dynamic i think yes. those two actors have great chemistry i always loved their sort of you know back and forth in the comics and wong's a kung fu master such a cool thing that they could tap into as well i would love to see a buddy movie that's wong dr strange Facing off against Baron Mordo for some reason, because I love how they keep teasing how Baron Mordo hates Doctor Strange. Right. But they haven't really paid it off. And I just think that they have such a good actor in Chiwetel Echiofor that they should do something with that. That's what I would I would love to see that. And I feel the exact same way. Please keep Sam Raimi at the helm of this or involved, you know, on some MCU feature, because this guy's just he's too good to let go. That's right. And you know, they've been really putting Strange sort of up front. He's kind of one of the the legacy characters from the Avengers that is kind of like still around and still kicking. And um, is he going to be, you know, a, one of the main leaders of the Avengers? Is he going to be powerful and stuff like that? To be honest, whenever I saw this, my expectations were... This is going to have a lot of crossovers with the MCU. Wanda's going to be here. Maybe we get some X-Men and Fantastic Four. Maybe it starts to like really bleed into like the timeline. They're going to be talking about Spider-Man probably. No, this was a full-on side story, and I loved that about it. Like In my mind, I want Doctor Strange 3 to be another side story. I don't need him to... to you know, be in New York uh, doing sort of his thing, like make it a side story in the multiverse with Clea or Wong. Like, like let's have a little, tr- you know, a little trio here. We read the oath, right? The night nurse and Wong are like his two sidekicks throughout the whole book. And that works great. Such a good run. You you can keep these stories small, especially when you, I think you've kind of established these characters and, and sort of explored some of their idiosyncrasies. If you, keep them smaller then you can kind of just further explore these characters and their relationships with each other and that's kind of what everyone is most interested in you know we don't really care about the book of ashanti or you know darkhold or whatever they're capable of we just kind of want to see how these characters bounce off each other that's exactly right and that is what made that is what has made the mcu so successful is the characters are so dynamic. We fall in love with Tony Stark. We fall in love with these characters, right? They mean so yes. much to us so that by the time we've seen them three and four and times, whenever they're facing off against their greatest threat, there are stakes on the line and there's meaning and we feel every sort of like phrase. We remember the phrases, the on your left, right? It, that can mean so much to us. And I mean, y- y- you said it, you said it the best there. Um, okay, well, I did want to sort of take stock of where we are. We are in phase four. Next, we have Thor, but I thought I wanted to pose this to you, Adam. We're going to rank the phase four films. Let me read them off to you, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of ramble a little bit so you kind of have some time to think about it. Okay, great. We had Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Eternals. Spider-Man, and then finally Doctor Strange. So we have five movies in uh, in the phase four of Marvel. Like I mentioned, next up we have Thor. We've seen a trailer with the mighty Thor, Jane Foster Thor. It's gonna look, it's gonna be dope. And then after that, 
We're not really sure what's going to be next because some of the timelines have kind of shifted around a little bit, but it could be Wakanda forever. But um, that one might also end up being pushed for filming reasons and obviously the untimely death of uh, the lead actor there. So we'll see what happens. But Adam, back to you. We have five phase four movies. Start with your least favorite and work your way up to your favorite. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was going to say, I also know that um, Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania is in the pipeline. Absolutely. Thank you. Least favorite. <clears throat> I think uh, I got to go with Eternals. Eternals didn't really do right much there with for you. me. Very forgettable. Tough source material. I was dubious about it going into it. Really was just hoping for the best Chloe Zhao. But just didn't do much for me. Okay, then the next one, um, Black Widow. Just very forgettable. Plot was very forgettable. I think it kind of came out at a weird time in the Black Widow's arc um, for us to really be that invested in it. So that gets four. The number three, um, let's see. I think my next on the list... You need me to list off the the remaining wait, three? Wait, wait. Who do I have left? I'm r- forgetting one of them. You see Eternals, Spider-Man, and Strange. No, no, no. I already said Eternals. I said that was... Oh, sorry. Favorite. Shang-Chi, Spider-Man, and Strange. Shang-Chi. I'll go Shang-Chi next. I thought Shang-Chi had some interesting stuff, um, but overall, it kind of like faltered in the third act, although I did really appreciate some of the early sequences, especially the bus fight scene. That was really cool. I'm going to go Spider-Man number two. Spider-Man, super fun. Had a great time at the theater. I uh, I really, you know, looking back, I think I appreciate it even more and how they brought back those other Spider-Man right. um, actors in. thought that was a really cool way to kind of tie up all these movies together. And then I'm honestly going to go with Doctor Strange yep. at the top of the list. I think this was a great movie. This is the exact type of Marvel movie that I personally want to see. I had a blast at the theaters. And that one's going to be my number one, Blaine. There you, you any, have any it. Differences? Yes, one major difference. Everything else is mostly the same. And I am in the minority of maybe one. Am the only person who loves Black Widow. <laughs> like, okay, like that that movie to me. Um, it was like the first film I saw back in theaters. We did a pod about it, and I was stoked then. And and I got to say, like. It to me the hype has not died. It, it yeah, I, I, I want to watch it again, but it to me was like right off the bat. Whenever I got like, oh, they're doing a James Bond spy movie uh, with Black Widow, and just sort of like seeing the the female characters. You know, I we always talk about you know me being a father and having the girls, and like seeing that sort of family dynamic of really introducing the family with the two uh, the two daughters and the sisters, and the way they just gave kind of. Uh, Black Widow, that swan song. We don't have to relitigate Black Widow. Go back and listen to our Black Widow beyond the panels. But I'm going to bump that one way up my rankings. Everything else is the same. I don't know where it's going to land. I think I would put that one, honestly, at number two, maybe even above Spider-Man. But uh, who knows? Okay, great, cool. Um, Strange is the best. Everything else is right in par. I didn't like Shang-Chi. Um, Eternal sucks. And Doctor Strange, we love, y'all. We love it. And as a final last note... We see the return of our boy, Ash himself, Bruce Campbell. What were your thoughts whenever you saw 
the hot dog man. I forgot his name, uh, the his character's name. Um, what, what what did you think whenever you saw him uh, make an appearance in this film? His character's name is Pizza Papa. Yes, and yeah, he's great. I love Bruce Campbell in any appearance in any form or fashion. It honestly surprised me. I I kind of forgot that Sam Raimi puts Bruce Campbell in every one of his movies, no matter what. Right, and. So when he came onto the screen, I was like, of course that it's Bruce Campbell being this stupid pizza street vendor. Yes. And, you know, I love to see him there, but I will, I will pick one tiny little nip. Oh boy. If you're going to make us sit through this entire credit sequence, it needs to have a little bit more weight than just, you know, a, a, you know, slap happy joke at the end come on guys give us a little payoff we just sat through you know an extra five minutes of credits for for nothing and and you know i i wonder that so much because i I kind of had a little it wasn't as full spoiler alert but we were sitting there and like the alamo draft house attendant was like what somebody was like is there something at the end they're like yeah but it's probably not what you think so i was like i was like i dropped my expectations i was like oh this isn't going to be a reveal it's going to be a they did it i think in spider-man um i think homecoming where it was captain america in like the sort of like uh home video vcr thing every once like they either do a reveal or they do a punchline joke, just like a like like a cheese ball joke, just to like make you laugh. And and so my expectations immediately like kind of went where it was gonna go. And whenever he did, whenever it was him fighting himself, he's like, "It's over!" And he like looked at the like you know broke the fourth wall. I was just bursting out laughing. I thought it was hilarious. I do love breaking the fourth wall. So that was a nice little little ribbon on the end, a uh, little bow on the end. But I do stand by my previous statement. Come on. I just sat through that whole thing. I got a piece so bad. Yeah, seriously. I and, and I think I just wonder how much that sort of I not exactly what you're saying, but how much like audiences want to see the X-Men or to see the Fantastic Four or to see something new or to see something big or to see something. I wonder how much that kind of works against Marvel sometimes, right? It, it, it it's it's a really tricky line to walk because fans are here, and frankly, in comics in general, fans are here to see Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, but they're also like, how does this advance the the grand tapestry, right? And and it's absolutely a, it's a big sort of thing to have to live up to, and and I think, like you said, it worked with the Illuminati. You just say, they've been here. The X-Men are here, bro. They're in another universe, which means they could also be in your universe. The Fantastic Four are here. The Inhumans, everything's here. We don't have to over-explain it. It's just here. But not, this universe, they're all going to die, though. <laughs> but they're, just, they're all going to die in this universe, but it doesn't matter. Right. Because here's what it's about. It's about satisfying enough expectations and hopes that people feel validated but keeping enough plates spinning and balls in the air that you just you've kicked the can down the road that people are going to come back because not everything got answered there's still some things that they want so we got a little taste we got john krasinski as mr fantastic is he dead is he going to come back we don't know but that was enough it's definitely hurt them in the past WandaVision, people kept expecting, you know, 
Mr. Fantastic. Yeah. Or or Mephisto to show up. Yeah. Or Mr. Fantastic. They were talking about everything. Didn't happen. People still watched, but maybe they were upset. But did that stop them from watching the next Marvel show? No. Never. And it's just about, I think, satisfying enough while being able to continue the story and kick the can down the road. Because I've mentioned this before. You got to look at this as a giant story told in you know, two and a half hour installments, not as in separate movies. This is all part of a huge story. And instead of it being uh, a season with hour long episodes, this is a season with two and a half hour long episodes. It's a blessing and can be a curse if not done the right way. And we over comic club think it was done the right way in this film. So that is going to wrap it up for comic club. Um, You can Follow us across the internet at Comic Club. Like, uh, if you enjoyed today's episode, tell a friend and leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. I am Blaine McGaff on Twitter. I'm Danger Adam on Instagram. And that's going to be it for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness Beyond the Panels. Adam? Comic Club out. Comic Club is brought to you from Upper Esh Media. This episode was edited by Adam J. Cook. Our intro and outro music is by Tiger Cup. Katie Livingston at Living Kate designed our logo. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on social at Comic Club Podcast, and join our Facebook group to continue the conversation online. Remember, everyone, read more comics. Comic Club.